What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Two Minute Drill, presented by Deep Dive Sports. Um, we got a pretty full episode today for you. Obviously, we'll uh go over the uh, heartbreaking loss there this past weekend. But can we not? <laughs> we have to go over it just a little bit. Um, even though we don't want to, but we'll hit our recap section real quick here. First up was Texans and Jaguars. If you guys didn't watch that game, uh, the Jaguars won that one on a missed field goal by the Texans there as um I think not as not as time ran out but um it was pretty damn close pretty damn close yeah um right off the front crossbar 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 pretty heartbreaking but a good game I think uh when I had put this game up here I I put it up here cuz I thought it would probably be a game maybe not for the division but definitely um, for a playoff spot for the Texans to kind of secure that for them, hopefully. And a good litmus test to see where the Texans were compared to the Jaguars. I think the Texans are in a similar spot to maybe where the Jaguars were last year. So it's definitely a good test to see where they're at. Um, and, and a good battle between two QBs who are probably the future of you know, the AFC QBs right now. So um, definitely a good game. Trevor Lawrence, 364, one touchdown, one interception. CJ was 304 for two touchdowns and one rushing touchdown as well. Trevor Lawrence had a rushing touchdown as well, too. So both of these guys doing their thing. Um, Dom, what is your thoughts on this game as a whole? I thought it was a great game. Um, it was very entertaining. I watched that kick live and I was like, you can't get any closer to it. Like yeah. the kick was perfect, like mm-hmm. dead straight, middle of the uprights, and when it, I saw it bounce off the crossbar, and I thought it went in. I thought he made it. Yeah. Um, kind of heartbreaking, but um, I think both teams played really well. And I think, like you said, these are two quarterbacks that are going to be, you know, really the the futures of the AFC. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was a, it was a tough one. I I think that I forget what they said his long was, but. He or with his longest field goal that he would made, but I think this one that he attempted was like maybe like four yards longer than that or something. So definitely, definitely a tough one, a tough way to lose. Um, you know, especially for CJ to kind of be able to put him in that spot. It's definitely not on him, but you know the Jaguars are a good team. I think the Texans are are ascending as well and. And these are two teams that we could definitely see in the playoffs this year, just depending on how things shake out. But, David, what were your thoughts on this game? And um, did you have anything else to add other than what we said? Uh, definitely a great performance from both teams. Um, but, yeah, I agree that this is definitely the future of the NFL right at the moment, not just the AFC. I think it. I'll argue that it's probably the future of the NFL entirely. They just happen to be both in the AFC. So both – uh, both amazing performances. No, well, not just the AFC; they're in the same division too. So we we get to see yeah. this matchup once a year. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I don't. I think what I mean this probably brings back the the battles. You know, I guess I, I don't know. I don't. What Carson Palmer, Big Ben, Big Ben, Joe Flacco, like who else? Same division. Tony Romo. Was it um? 
Donovan McNabb for the Eagles, maybe. You know, I'm trying to think of divisions in the past that had two pretty solid quarterbacks. Yeah, I, it's it's you don't we you really don't see it that often. Yeah, I mean you have. I mean what? And maybe the the one year with um was it Drew Brees and Tom Brady weren't they all both in ten? Did, did they overlap their time in the NFC South? Because Drew Brees retired what twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two. Was it no, the, it was 2021. Was it the year that the Bucks won the Super Bowl? No, that was 2020. I know, but they're overlapped. So, yeah, then there was a little bit of overlap then. Yeah. So, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I mean, but that, like, I don't know, but you're talking about, like, years of battles, you know what I mean? I just can't think of when you're looking at divisions. That's crazy that. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're missing people. I don't know. I mean, because I'm thinking, what, like, Eli was with the Giants? Was anybody else with any of those other teams? <laughs> like, well, I guess Tony Romo would have been there, too. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, moving on. That's crazy. If you guys are listening, let us know. <laughs> I feel like we're missing somebody. That's crazy. That's going to bug me now. Um, But let's go ahead and move into the Browns-Broncos uh, game. That's another one. that I, This was a tough game, I think. What, DTR went down. So you you kind of lose that. P.J. Walker comes in. I, I don't think he necessarily played like awful, awful, but he's definitely not DTR. He's not the answer. He's not the guy that's going to be able to win you games. I think DTR is definitely more of an accurate passer. Um, I know the stats don't necessarily show that, but I do think that he is. I think that a lot of the wide receivers have problems with DTR because he throws really hard, so it's a little bit of an adjustment. But that's where you kind of see those incompletions. It's not necessarily his inaccuracy. It's just those those drops that are happening. But with PJ Walker, that that offense just kind of kind of sputters out. I mean, the one bright spot in this game was Jerome Ford had seven point two yards a carry. I think maybe they should have tried to lean on him a little bit more. He only had nine carries. But this Broncos team, they're on a roll right now, and you know, being able to beat this Browns team as unfortunate it is for, you know, Dom and David or Browns fans for this Broncos team, it's good because that's a team that's kind of in their way right now for a wild card spot. And I think what they're five in a row wins now. So they're definitely putting themselves in a position, especially with the Texans loss right now, where, you know, the Browns lose a couple more, the Texans lose a couple more, maybe the Steelers lose a couple more, the Bills keep losing these heartbreakers, which we'll talk about in a couple minutes. The Broncos could find themselves in a playoff spot, which I don't think any of us thought that they were going to be in that position at the beginning of the year. So um, I'll kick it over to David first to give his opinion. I didn't get the chance to actually watch the game itself, but from what I've heard, it was rather a, a, a... A rather pretty dirty game, from what I've heard. It didn't go over too, too well. And um, I think that the Browns are right now regretting letting Josh Dobbs go uh, earlier in the season. But granted, we couldn't... No one's a fortune teller. So no one could predict what was happening that is now happening. I mean, I I think hindsight's twenty twenty, right? They were able to get an asset out of Josh Jobs. I know that sounds bad because he's a person, you know what I mean? But they were able to get a draft pick out of him. So I think at the end of the day, you looked at your roster and they had a lot of faith in DTR as being the backup, maybe a guy that if Deshaun Watson at any point went down or wasn't able to go, could be good enough to steady the ship. And, and PJ Walker was 
good enough in their mind to be an emergency quarterback. So I think they were happy with their quarterback room. And like I said, they were able to get something out of Josh Dobbs. And I don't know. I don't know if you can argue with that. They have Joe Flacco there now. So if DTR is, I haven't read the injury report to see whether or not what's going on with that. But I, I think that hope they hope that Joe Flacco could be a guy that maybe could come in and steady the ship. I don't know if he'll play this week or not if DTR can't go, but I don't, I don't know, man. I, like I said, I, I'm curious to see your opinion, Dom, on the Jerome Ford thing. Nine carries, 65 yards, 7.2 yards a carry. Like, do you think maybe they abandoned the run and should have leaned on it a little bit more? Um, or do you think this game was kind of lost the moment that DTR went out? Um, Both. Um, I think it was definitely lost when DTR went out. Um, Cause I mean, PJ Walker came in, man. And he looked, he was bad. Like he was, he was beyond bad. Um, at this point, like, I don't, I don't know how he stays on the roster. Um, but no, they definitely should have ran more. You have, you're going up against the, the team that was ranked as the worst run defense in football. And you had Jerome Ford averaging 7.3 yards a carry. Um, I know Kareem Hunt didn't, didn't really do much. He wasn't, I think his yards per carry was below three, but I think there was definitely a missed opportunity there with Jerome Ford. And then losing DTR was, I, I think, the nail of the coffin for the game. Um, I think they got kind of desperate, called that stupid double reverse, just because, you know, this team's faced so many injuries to where, like, they're, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel uh, for starters. I mean, we got second and third string offensive linemen playing. We got Nick Chubb out for the year. Um DTRs, you know, the starting quarterback, we had to sign Joe Flacco. So, I mean, I, I think they're really starting to get desperate and, and feel the effects of these injuries. And, you know, we'll see how they can rebound. But I know, um, I know Miles Garrett was injured. Reports were that he couldn't lift his arm over his, like he couldn't lift his arm up after the game. Um, X-rays on that came back negative. So he's day-to-day right now. Uh, DTRs in the concussion protocol. So we'll we don't know if he'll be able to play. It's just a big, big question mark with his team right now. Yeah, it's super unfortunate. Like, I, I guess my thing for you guys before I move on, like, I, I always wonder year to year. I, I feel like there's similar teams that just have these injury problems. You know what I mean? Like, I know every year injuries are going to happen, but it feels like for the Browns, it happens year in and year out, especially in a year where you felt like this defense was good enough to keep them in games as long as the offense could score some points, right? So Deshaun Watson, as much as I think he had his ups and downs there towards the end, he seemed, you know, like he was playing better. And even though with him out, you know, against the Steelers, you saw DTR, like they put together an amazing game plan for him and he was able to, you know, not lose them the game. And I think against the Broncos, he was playing pretty well until he went out so yeah, I think that it, it's just it's just a weird thing to me it just feels like year in and year out there's just so many injuries on a team that has had so much potential um and I just don't know I, I don't know what, how you view that now you know is it an organizational thing is it bad luck did somebody put a curse on them I you know what I mean I we could do all the funny things but it's got to be an organizational thing like I just I don't I don't understand how year in and year out, you know, 
there could just be so many injuries. Like you said, you're they're down to third string offensive linemen. You're down to potentially bringing Joe Flacco into a game who hasn't who hasn't been playing. He was sitting on the couch. So like yeah, I just I, I don't know. I don't think it's like a yearly problem. I think obviously injuries are gonna happen to every team throughout the year. I just think this year it's just so much worse than than what we've seen. And I think we've seen that across the league. I don't think it's really just a Browns thing. Um, to me, you know, I, I don't have any data to back this up, but it just seems like injuries are becoming more and more common. Um, you know, and that we can discuss why that is. I, I think it's partially because of how easy the, the offseason has become for these guys. Um, or maybe it's you know, I, there's got to be more than one factor to it, but I don't think it's it's a Brown specific issue. Um, it just sucks that all the injuries have been to the star guys that you know we're relying on. You know, it, especially like if Miles Garrett's forced to miss some time, that's the season, man. Like you can you can recoup from losing Nick Chubb as much as that sucks. You can get by with good backup quarterback play, which the Browns were starting to get with DTR. But, you know, we were down Denzel Ward this week. Now, potentially Miles Garrett. Like, I don't know how much more this team could take. Like, I know a lot of teams have the the next man up mentality, which you have to have in sports. But eventually, there's really not going to be a next man up. And I I really don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. Didn't didn't Amari Cooper go out with an injury, too? Yeah, um, x-rays on that came back negative, and he should be fine to go. Um, it was like a, a rib contusion. Nothing was broken or anything. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. No, I wasn't. it wasn't like a shot at them. It was just – it just always feels like year in and year out, the Kevin Stefanski era, just – I don't know. It, it just feels like there's so much hope on paper, you know what I mean? And, and they have – they put together a good string of games, and it just feels like – at the worst times or maybe even at any random time, there's just these injuries that derail this team's ability to make a playoff push, make the playoffs. I mean, this is a team that even with Deshaun Watson playing average that could have competed for a Super Bowl this year with how good that defense was. Yeah. So I mean, honestly, I I think Deshaun Watson was we were starting to see the quarterback that the Browns traded for. I mean, you look at the the last game they played, the Ravens game. The second half, he went 14 for 14 for almost 200 yards and won the game for the Browns. Um, so like we we were we would see flashes of that quarterback throughout the season where he would have like one good throw. Where you're like, that's the guy that we traded for. Mm-hmm. But we were finally starting to see him kind of put it together into a a long drive, a half, you know, and, you know, I think DTR this last week, you know, as young as he is, I I really feel like we were seeing him grow up during the game, like right in front of our eyes during the game. He was really making good throws. He was making good decisions, but, um, you know, I think the effects of having third and fourth string offensive linemen were, really taking their toll. And, you know, I, David brought it up earlier. There there were some pretty questionable hits. Um, the the hit that knocked um, DTR out, yeah, I think it was kind of questionable. He was hit upper neck, like head area. Um, 
you know, if you see the the video of him walking off, like he was spitting up blood as he was getting up off the ground. So I, there there were some questionable hits in that game, but you know that's part of football. But you know we'll see. Yeah. Um. Let's move on to probably the thriller of the this week's football, professional football at least. Um. Bills Eagles guys like. This one came down to the wire. Another overtime loss for the Bills in this, you know, Josh Allen tenure. I think they're 0-6 with him as the starting quarterback in OT. Definitely not all his fault. It's a team sport. Um, And he didn't really even play that awful. I think, what, three, two touchdown passes, two rushing touchdowns. You know, he had over 300 um, passing yards. He was the leading rusher for the team. So this is definitely not a Josh Allen loss. This is just... You know, Jalen Hurts, five total touchdowns, a little under 300 total yards. Like, this Eagles team is looking pretty complete. Um, and at 10-1, and they're looking like the best team in the country right now. But, you know, Dom, what is your, your thoughts on this game? You know, how tough of a loss is this for the Bills in, in their kind of hunt to stay relevant in this playoff picture? I think this is the best game of the season. Um, but I think both quarterbacks played amazing games. I think this was by far the best game of the season for Josh Allen. I know he he continued his interception streak, but overall, I think he had an amazing game. Um, you know, I think we really are lucky to see you know some really good quarterback play from a lot of guys. I know there's been a lot of injuries this year, but like the elite of the elite quarterbacks, they are really impressive. And I think this Eagles team, I've been saying it all season. They'll figure it out. You know, this team is too good to not figure it out. They've they've figured it out. They're ten and one. You know, I don't really see anyone getting in their way at this point. Um, but man, the Bills, it's just it's unlucky. You know, they're they're competitive in, in every game. I don't think they've gotten blown out at all. It's just, you know, the ball's not really bouncing their way this year. And unfortunately, it's a year where the AFC is probably the toughest that we've seen in our lifetimes. And I, I don't think the AFC is going to get any easier. That's that's the thing that you look at. Like, I mean, honestly, you got to look at like the Chargers right now. Obviously, we talked about them last week, but, you know, they get the right head coach there. Hopefully they're firing on all cylinders. Justin Herbert's playing better. You know, look what the Broncos are doing right now. They still got the Chiefs like. CJ's with the Texans now. The Jaguars are on the scene. As as much and as all the, of a sudden the the Broncos have figured things out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know you still got the Dolphins. Um, I think if the Jets can get a healthy Aaron Rodgers back next season, that's going to be at least a competitive team to play. Um, especially with that defense and those weapons that they have. So, yeah, I don't know. It'll be uh, it'll be interesting. But David, what's your uh, thoughts on this game, man? Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> Excuse me. Definitely competitive. Um, definitely showed that the Bills are still relevant, but it's just like what you guys said. The AFC is just that good. I think that they need to figure out some fine details because I think everything's there for them to succeed. But they there there's just something that's missing. I don't know what it is. But it seems like you got Josh Allen, who isn't making too many mistakes in a game. Yeah, he may throw a an interception, but he's also throwing three 
to four touchdowns that same game. So it pretty much negates the fact that, yeah, he threw an interception, but he's throwing three to four every same every same game. So he's not necessarily making a ton of mistakes. So I don't know what needs to be done, um, but they need something to keep to keep relevant, whether they trade up to get Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, so who knows? Might be a little bit too much cheddar, but yeah, it'd be fun. <laughs> be, a, be a fun, fun player to pair with that. The big arm of Josh Allen, you know, so mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like not that the NFL is reverting back to the, you know, old gunslingers. Cause I think the old gunslingers were just, inaccurate and that's why they threw a lot of interceptions not that they didn't have big arms but they just were you know inaccurate i think nowadays gunslingers are accurate but defenses know that we are in a pass first era pretty much so if they're put if they put five dbs out on the field or even if they only have four dbs but they have two linebackers that are really good in pass coverage they're really blanketing the field with guys who can you know play really good pass coverage and and I think that they know eventually they're going to be able to get a turnover in some of these games you know I mean even Jalen Hurts threw an interception so I I think that's why we're seeing a lot of these interceptions this year obviously you have guys who throw interceptions because they're inaccurate and they're not very good but I think when you look at the uh, these guys who are really good quarterbacks to elite quarterbacks in the league I think a lot of their interceptions just do because the defensive coordinators, the defensive players have kind of gotten wise to it. And they say, Hey, you know, we'll blanket the field with, with five or six DBs on, especially when you're going to, we know you're going to pass the ball and, you know, we'll make you try to fit it into tight windows and either we're going to get a pass deflection or we're going to get an interception and we're going to, you know, get a turnover and that's going to benefit us. So I think that's what we're really seeing in this era. And, you know, Obviously, you look at some throws and you're like, okay, yeah, that was a that was an interception. But <laughs> a lot of it's just really good defensive plays as well, too. So, um, last recap here that I had in this section. Not that it was not that this was the last game that we had for game of the weeks because pretty much our college section will be talked about one of them. But Oregon versus Oregon State. I think was it Oregon State last week gave Washington um, some fits. So. Oregon did not have trouble with them <laughs> at all this week. 31 to 7. They are looking really good. Um, Bo Nix, two touchdowns, almost 400 yards passing. He had a rushing touchdown, 31 rushing yards. Like he's adding to his resume. Um, and Oregon seemed primed and ready for, you know, this game that they're going to go into this week against Washington for the championship. But, you know, David, what's your, uh, What's your thoughts on this one, and uh, how uh, how well do you think Oregon's prepared for their rematch against Washington? I think that this game went about as expected um, from when we did our last predictions uh, last week. And so I think that they'll be ready. I think that they're going to come in hot. They're going to want to completely air it out but not in a way where they aren't running the ball to kind of control things and um, kind of manage clock. So I think that they'll come, they'll be prepared for Washington. Okay. Dom. This game didn't really go as 
I thought it would. I thought it'd be a much closer game. Uh, but I, I predicted that Oregon would win. I, I think that they're one of the best teams of the country at this point, and I think that's been solidified this past week. Um, not much else to say other than I, I yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling to, to put into words just how much of a beatdown this was. Um, I think we really see the talent gap between, you know, the top four or five teams of the country with teams that are, you know, 12 and 12 to 25. Um, it's, it's pretty significant, you know, Oregon state's a good team, but you know, they can't really, you can't really compete with, you know, a team like Oregon. I think, um, when it comes to Oregon being prepared for Washington, I think they're more prepared than what they were earlier in the season. A lot of question marks this season for Washington was really just kind of their defense. Not that they were as bad as USC's defense, but a lot of people had kind of questioned them um, in a similar way where like, you know, Michael Penix and the Washington offense had to kind of keep pace with a lot of teams this year, even Oregon in order to win their matchup earlier in this season. So I think, you know, Oregon throughout this year has definitely gotten better. And I think that they believe that their defense is going to be able to hopefully hold Michael Penix to score a few less points than last time. And Bo Nix is going to be able to tear their defense up again. So I think this will be a game. Maybe it'll be a shootout again. Maybe Oregon will come out and just put them down, but it'll be very interesting because it'll bring up a lot of questions about what the playoff should look like. And we'll kind of talk about that a little bit later, but yeah, this was a beat down. I, I'm in the camp with Dom. I thought it'd be a little bit closer, but Oregon's a good team. Bo Nix is developing into a good quarterback pro, uh, prospect that maybe be able to play on Sundays. We'll see, but he's definitely having a really good college season this year. So very interesting, very interesting. All right, quarter two. I know that we don't really want to talk about it. This one... Can we skip? Yeah. This one This one hurt. This one... Um, I know that I had made the comments that I was worried because I felt like this Michigan team was better than what the last two that beat us. I felt that this Michigan team was was actually a really good team. And not that the other two didn't have quality players or the other two wins that they had didn't have, you know, good teams, but I do feel like they're a little tainted and and you can kind of look at that and have your own opinion about it. But I felt this team was really good. So the narrative coming into it was, oh, Ohio State has to win. Um, And if they don't win, then, you know, they can't whine about the other two wins and, and the potential cheating and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, Michigan has to win this game so that they can prove that the other two weren't a fluke, right? I, I think that the narratives were kind of BS, but this this was this was this year, this was this game, and this one was different than the other two because the other two, you came to that second half and they pretty much blew out Ohio State. It wasn't even close. But this one just felt like it was winnable. It was attainable. Um, it was a hard-fought game. It wasn't like anybody was doing anything extremely better than the other. It just came down to execution. Um, 
And unfortunately, Michigan, they wanted it. I think we had that conversation last week, guys, where I said that we had to be worried because they were going to want to win this game so bad. So bad. And I'll kick it over to Dom first. You know, maybe tell me I'm wrong, but if it did look like and feel like they wanted this win they it it felt like they were playing like they had lost the last two in a row. You know what I mean? Like they had lost the last two games in a row. That's how Michigan was playing. And Ohio State was playing like they hadn't lost the last two in a row. Um, but I'll kick it over to Dom first. Give me your opinion on that and then answer this first question of, you know, like what do you think Michigan did well in this game? Um, I agree and I also kind of disagree. I think both teams really wanted this game. Um, Michigan had a chip on their shoulder with everything going on right now. Um, They kind of wanted to validate their position as one of the top teams in the country because everyone was questioning it, and I think they did. Um, I also do think that maybe Ohio State fans were maybe a little arrogant thinking that, oh, man, we got we lost the last two. We got this one at the bag. Michigan was cheating this whole time. This is not even going to be close. It's a guaranteed win. Um, and I, I always thought that was kind of an arrogant way to, to think about this game because, you know, Michigan was one of the best teams, one of the highest-ranked teams in the country for a reason. Um, you know, I, it's it sucks because I, I do think that both teams wanted this. But I I did think it came down to execution, especially at the end. I think Ohio State's defense kind of let them down. It was one of their strengths all season, and they kind of let them down this game. Um, but I also think that, man, if if McCord had another second on that last play where he threw that interception, you know, I the way that uh, Marvin Harrison was, was running his route, if McCord had another second to go and make a throw – it would have been a touchdown. Like he would have been wide open because he was cutting through the middle of the field and there was no one in front of him and he would have been wide open and it would have been a touchdown. Um, So that's really unfortunate. Um, I I don't think we can blame McCord too much, even though he got off to a bad start. He played really well in the second half and, you know, it just came down to execution. You know, now that I've I've kind of calmed down after the game plan for Ryan Day to be fired, you know, a little bit more rational about it. Um, but no, I, I think Michigan overall they played a great game. Uh, they took care of the ball. You know, they kept converting on third down. Their defense, you know, was there to make the plays when the plays needed to be made. And you know, I, I think this was a great game overall. And I think these are clearly some of the best teams in the country. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think in the second half, the defense definitely did not help out. Um, what was it? I think Michigan had four drives in the second half and they scored on all four of them, whether it was a touchdown or a field goal. So, and not only did they score, they were, they were long drives that just took time off the clock. And I think, they they were able to execute a game plan that a lot of teams tried against Ohio State this year that weren't really necessarily able to execute it, which was control time of possession. And they had to know that that was going to happen. 
And, you know, like you said, you don't blame Comicord. And I, I don't think Comicord played an awful game. I think that last interception you can take off because that was just a really good defensive play, right? Your offensive line let you down. They came through. You know, Comicord's throwing the ball that, like Dom said, otherwise would either be a first down or maybe even a touchdown. But the defender gets to him, hits his elbow, the ball kind of flutters in the air, and unfortunately it's intercepted to end the game. And that's that's probably right up there with the missed field goal <laughs> last year to lose against Georgia, right? I, I don't know if it's as heartbreaking because I think we all know that we go and we play TCU in the championship that we we freaking win that game. But it's uh yeah, it's a tough one. Um David first answer man what do you think Michigan did well and then we'll go right into our second question here of you know what do you think Ohio State I guess what did Michigan do well coupled with what did Ohio State kind of do poorly in this game I don't think that both sides really did poorly and Ohio State did poorly either I think that starting off slow didn't help Ohio State at all they needed to really come out of the gate and start off strong. They didn't do that. But by the time the end of the game came around, both teams were executing. It was just a matter of who performs or who executes what play when. And Michigan executed their defense perfectly and was able to disrupt the pass and cause an interception. That's what I think it came down to. Now, when it comes to Ryan Day, it's it's tough. Because as I said in the media aftermath, if I was an athletic booster or someone who controls like the funding for like the different athletics, I think that losing three years in a row to Michigan, however it happens, is He's just not a good look because none of the other games really matter that much outside of Michigan. If you were if you're an Ohio State alum and you're part of that athletic booster, none of the other games matter outside of the national title game and Michigan. And so to lose three years in a row, if he's given a second uh, another year, he his position is definitely on the hot seat because, like I said before, and even in our group text, you need to do one of three things. One, you need to win the national title. Now that in in itself negates any Michigan game and any Michigan loss by itself. Or two. You need to beat Michigan every single year you're the head coach of the football team. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. That's the bare minimum that you ask of any head coach. Or number three, preferably both. And unlike Jim Trestle or Urban Meyer, he hasn't done any of those. Because even though Urban Meyer and Jim Trestle only won one national title, Pretty much every single year they went out and beat Michigan. So they did the the bare minimum that any booster or AD asks of their head coach. I will say in Ryan Day's credit, he doesn't have those 
random, how did we lose to this team losses? I feel like, you know, there was a couple times throughout the Jim Trestle and, and Urban Meyer years where we lose to, you know, a, a non-conference game earlier in the season, or we lose a conference game that, you know, we, we really should have won and we lost it to a, a team that was clearly inferior to Ohio State. Ryan Day doesn't have that. You know, to his credit, his only losses are to uh, top five Michigan teams and, you know, teams that are in the playoffs. Like, he's only lost to Michigan and he's only lost in the playoffs. So he, at least he doesn't have those random losses to Purdue or, you know, as the first one that came to my mind with Urban Meyer, but to his credit, he doesn't have those losses. So I mean, going into the Michigan game, you know, it's always going to be a, a top five matchup where in, in some years, maybe it wouldn't have been. I understand the, the chance, right. For him to be gone, for him to be on the hot seat. And, and I, I do think that, that he should, he does deserve some criticism, right? Of course, Dom's right. This dude doesn't have these little ticky tacky losses like it that you shouldn't have as a caliber of a team that you have, a caliber program that you have. That's awesome. But he's also one in six against top 10 FBS teams, right? So, of course, in his time here at Ohio State, he's put Ohio State in a position to compete for a championship every single year. Um, I think that matters, but I also think it matters that he can't win those games. Do I think that we should move on from him? No, because who who's going to come in and coach this program, right? I think I think Michigan is a perfect example. Jim Harbaugh had no success against Ohio State up until 3 years ago, right? His program was building was mediocre. They you know, had good teams, but they definitely weren't at the caliber of what they've been the past three years. And they allowed him to build and grow and tweak and fix. And now they're to this point where they have beat Ohio State three years in a row. They are going to go back to the college football playoff unless catastrophe happens this week. And they're going to compete for a national championship. <laughs> Tom's like, yes, please, Iowa. Somehow score more than 10 points in a game for once in your season. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're going to compete for a national championship. And I just think that, yes, of course, like Ryan Day should, his legacy is tainted, and, and that's unfortunate. But, again, to all those people that that say that he should be fired or say that his seat is super, super hot right now, Give me another name. Give me another name that can come in, that can recruit as well, that is going to have a clean record. He's 40-0 against the Big Ten, other than Michigan, who's going to put you in a chance to be in the college football playoff every single year, year in and year out. And we're talking about the four-team playoff, not this 12-team playoff that's coming, a four-team playoff. And tell me another coach that's going to be able to coach, not that we're getting blown out, close games. Like, we're losing by a missed field goal. Right, nothing that he can do, just a player not executing their position. So I think that yes, of course, the criticisms are fair, but at the same time, give me another name. And to the people that say, Oh, Heartline, Heartline's not coming in here 
and and doing the same stuff. I I love Hartline. What he's done with that wide receiver room, Ohio State has turned into wide receiver U. They have produced top end talent in the NFL. Look at almost every single NFL team that has you know existed over the past fifteen years, and they probably had an Ohio State wide receiver on there that has played pretty damn well. So I think that. At the end of the day, yes, of course. This this loss sucks. Ryan Day losing three in a row, that's tough. But that that's the sport. That's the rivalry, guys. This team, this Michigan team, is not the Michigan team that Truss and Urban Meyer had to play. Like, if we're being honest, Trussell and Urban Meyer played some garbage Michigan teams. They, they, they had undefeated records against some garbage Michigan teams that were not competitive. Like, they weren't. The program was in shambles for years. Ryan Day is having to play against an actual top five team in the country year in and year out. And yes, of course, the losses suck, and they they should be a stand on his record. But that also should be something that's noted. Urban Meyer 7-0 against Michigan. Give me, other than 2016, give me one good Michigan team that he faced in those seven wins that were relevant other than 2016. That's what I'm saying. There's, yeah. So yes, of course, seven and zero matters. But let's look at the context here of what's actually going on. Um, I I think that we all kind of answered that nobody was really to blame for this loss. That this loss really wasn't anything that anybody did poorly. I think that there's a lot of little things that just tallied up together. Um, that caused this. I will throw this to Dom though. You know, in your mind, kind of looking at, you know, the college football rankings, the way they lie now. Um, if you guys don't have it up, pretty much the top eight that matter is Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Florida State, Oregon, Ohio State, Texas, and Alabama. Um, but looking at that and kind of looking at the games that are coming up this week, you know, last year Ohio State was able to squeak into the playoff. Is there a pathway for them this year to make the college football playoff again without playing in the big 10 championship. If Michigan and Florida state lose, then I think they have a really good shot to be in. Um, other than that, man, it's, it's looking difficult. Um, I don't, I don't know how they do it. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't really see Florida state losing and I don't see Michigan losing. If Washington loses to Oregon, then Oregon's just going to flip with Washington and be in. Um, if Alabama beats Georgia, then I mean, then then I think chaos breaks loose. But I think they'll get in over Ohio State. Um, so I, it's I don't know, not looking good. In my yeah. opinion, I don't I don't think Ohio State makes it in. I think there's really only one scenario for me. Um, and it has to go exactly this way. Georgia has to beat Alabama. Michigan's going to win. They're not going to lose as much as we would want them to. They're not losing to Iowa. Um, Washington has to beat Oregon. So that would leave Georgia, Michigan, Oregon. And then either, I think that two other things have to happen. Somehow Florida State has to lose to Louisville, which that's a tough one. But you need that to be in tandem with the Texas loss as well, too. Because I think even if Florida State loses 
if Texas wins, I think Texas jumps in over Ohio State because they have a conference championship win. Um, so yeah, you need you need an Alabama, Florida State, Texas, and Oregon loss to um to be able to jump in. I just and like Dom said, I think it's a it's a tough path. I think Georgia could definitely beat Alabama. I think Washington could definitely beat Oregon. I don't see Wa- Florida State losing, but they're without their starting quarterback, and and anything happens. Um, I don't really see Texas losing, but it's Texas football, <laughs> so <laughs> things happen. But Quinn Ewers is playing pretty well, so I, I just I just don't know if that happens. So, David, is there a pathway in your mind? Honestly, I don't pay much attention to and uh, college football that much to say yes or no. So I'll I'll just be straight up and honest with that. So I I can't really say. Okay. Um, well, David, do you want to give your the last question here for the, our quarter two was, you know, your prediction for a championship weekend here, and then maybe your um final your kind of prediction for championship weekend. Um, in tandem with what you think maybe your final four will be for the college football playoff. Can you read off the top eight again? So you got Georgia at number one, playing Alabama at eight. At eight. Uh, Michigan at number two, who will be playing Iowa. You'll have Washington at number three, who's playing number five, Oregon. Um, Florida State is at number four. They're playing Louisville. And then you have uh, Texas at number seven. I forget who Texas is playing. That's going to bug me. Oh, Texas is playing Oklahoma State. <laughs> so there's your games that matter. I mean, obviously, we're not going to throw mm. in Toledo versus Miami of Ohio. We'll talk about them later. But <laughs> <laughs> um, So I think it's going to be Georgia, Michigan. I'll actually... Go out on a limb and say Oregon over Washington and then Florida State. Top four right there. And okay. then I think that um I think I think it'll be um Georgia, Oregon as a championship. Okay. All right, all right. Dom, what's your uh what's your prediction? Um, I think the final four as it currently sits or the top four as it currently sits is probably how it's going to end up. Um, the only upset that I really could see happening is Washington or uh, Oregon over Washington. Um, but I championship game, I agree. It's either going to be Georgia and Oregon or Georgia and Michigan. Yeah. That's a tough one. I think it just depends. Think, look, looking at how Michigan compares to Washington, I think they have a more complete team. Um, Washington has a, a good offense, but their defense is a little suspected, you know, a lot of the times. Um, Michigan has a good enough offense, um, a great rushing attack, um, but they have a, one of the better defenses in college football. Um, I think Oregon would give them a run for their money, and I could see Oregon winning that game. But if it's uh, Michigan and Washington, um I hate to say it, but I, I think Michigan wins that one. Yeah, this is a tough one. I I do agree. I think I think Oregon is going to win this game against Washington, which is going to put them in the playoff. I think that'll have them as one of the four. I think that this Georgia-Alabama game is tough 
Like, I mean, Georgia really hasn't had a test this year like this. So I just don't know what's going to happen. Um, I want to say Georgia's going to win just because I don't really want Alabama to win. <laughs> and that'll just cause so much chaos. But yeah, I'm going to, I'll go Georgia, Oregon, Michigan. And I'm going to say FSU, but that's another one where like, I just have a bad feeling about this game. Like Louisville's coming off a kind of a crappy loss against Kentucky last week. And FSU's without their without their dude. And not saying that their backup quarterback's not good enough, but sometimes that matters in these games. Um and Louisville might want to come out and prove something. Um, I'm wondering if maybe that Kentucky loss last week was a little bit of a a brain fart because they were really looking to this game because they had already locked it in. So I I don't know. It's just that that one to me feels like a trap game. And then I think that changes a lot of things. But as long as Texas handles business, I think Texas would take that spot if Florida State drops it. So there's just a lot of what ifs, too many what ifs. It'll be uh, it'll be like a really fun college weekend to watch because there's a lot of things that are just kind of depending on who wins and who loses. <laughs> so I don't know. It'd be fun, fun, fun. So, all right. Quarter three. We're pushing right along here, guys. Current topics. Real quick. Um, I think earlier I had the wrong name in here. <laughs> I had their last head coach. Um, because they fired two head coaches two years in a row, halfway through the season. So, you know, your guys' thoughts on the Panthers here. Firing Frank Reich. Um, I think there were lots of reports coming out that he didn't want Bryce Young as his quarterback. So that's very interesting. I don't know if maybe that's played a part in Bryce Young's struggles this year, but it does seem like, I don't think he was the one only one that was fired. It seems like they fired the majority of their top ranking staff there, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So clearly there was maybe some riff within the regimes there on who they wanted to be the guy. And maybe that's played a part in their lack of success this year. But, you know, David, what's your thoughts on for now the second year in a row, the Panthers basically being like, we're going to move on. I think that that front office is in shambles more than anything, because I think that Frank Wright, while not the greatest coach in the world in the NFL, he still is a decent coach and he he could have gotten your team going if you followed his lead and i don't want to say did what he wanted but kind of used his roadmap to to near completion i guess you could say and i think that yeah i think that Bryce Young's future in the NFL, while he may not have been the greatest due to his size, is a mess. And he may or may not be in the NFL much longer. I don't know. I think that's just how much of a a mess the Carolina Panthers are. Like, I think that they would be just about the same even if they had C.J. Stroud. I think that's how much of a mess they are right now. 
Yeah. And I'm like, there's been times where Bryce Young hasn't played awful, right? Like, I don't think he's, I don't even think you could look at him and be like, oh, you're a, you've played like a bottom five quarterback in the league this year. I just think that team's not very great. You know, his best offensive weapon is, um, what, Adam Thaheen? Is it not Adam? Adam Thielen. Thielen, there you go. Sorry. Yeah. I, I combined two names there. Um, yeah, Adam Thielen. So that I mean, not that Adam Thielen's a scrub, but like, you know, an aging quarterback who's kind of on the tail end of his career there is not necessarily the ideal person that should be your number one weapon. And then when you kind of look at the rest of the weapons, they they just fall off. So you're kind of like, ah, all right. Um, so that is tough. For me, consistency is a big thing. I think you kind of look at like Justin Fields in Chicago or even Chicago before with Mitchell Trubisky. Um, you look at these teams that kind of change over coaching staffs year in and year out to where a lot of these young guys come in and they've had three or four different head coaches, three or four different offensive coordinators, three or four different quarterbacks coaches. And sometimes that does more harm than it does good. And it doesn't really help guys develop or get better. I know that that sounds crazy because then you're like, oh, what are you just going to consistently be bad? You would hope that if you gave a coach a three to four year window to develop and grow the team and you gave the general manager that time to, you know, add talent to the roster that hopefully over a three or four year time period, you start to see incremental improvements. Um, But the Panthers really aren't giving coaching staffs that opportunity um, maybe this one, like I said, was more of a riff between who they really wanted to be the guy, but I don't know. It just, it seems very like, I don't know, very sporadic down there and, and very random. And like David said, it just doesn't seem like it's all right down there. And, um, I don't know, like I said, consistency, I just, that's, I don't know. Dom, what do you think? I mean, there's really not much more to be said. I, I think ownership in Carolina is way too reactive, way too involved. Um, I don't know what coach that it has any experience would want to come there. Um, it's it's not a good, not a good situation. Um, they're becoming like the bears, like the, how the Browns used to be. Um, and it's really unfortunate because this is an organization that's had success in recent history. Um, it was a 20, 2015, 2016 around there. And they had that 15 and one season, went to the Super Bowl. Um, it, it's kind of a unfortunate fall from grace. And I, I really don't know where the team goes because as much as, I prefer um, C.J. Stroud over Bryce Young. I, there's obviously talent there. There's a reason why he was taken number one overall. Um, I think if they can get the right coach, they'll have to probably overpay to get the right coach in, and they can start somehow putting talent around Bryce Young. I, I think they can really start to figure some things out, but you need stability, and you know this is – something that the Browns have have learned over the last couple of years. Um, We've really seen the Haslam's take a step back and let 
um, Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski kind of build a culture and kind of grow the organization. It's going to take time. Um, it'll probably be a good couple of years until a new coach can come in and build a culture, but I don't know. It's not, it's looking pretty bleak right now. And I would really be sad if I was a Panthers fan. Here's the, here's something that I saw about this as well. I think since 2019, they've had six different head coaches. Yeah. And I believe it said it was like since 1952 or 62, the Steelers have had six different head coaches. And as a Steelers fan and as a football fan, I think we can all look back at that time. The Steelers weren't always 100% successful throughout all these years. They've had their ups and downs. Um, They haven't always made the playoffs. They haven't always, you know, had winning seasons and they've stuck with the head coaches through those times. I think, of course, you have to draw a line somewhere. I don't think you have to be the Bengals and give a guy 20 years of being mediocre, but I think there is something to say from stability. There is something to say about consistency. Like Dom said, like there's going to be hard times. You're not always going to be successful. You're going to have to, retool and redevelop and and grow again but when you do this to a young quarterback it it's just so detrimental and if next year and like dom said who's who's really going to want to go to that job that's going to be like oh you're going to give me 11 games and if in 11 games i'm not performing the way you want me to i'm out like why why would i leave the position that i'm in because really they're going to be going after the guys at the top of the league they're going to be going after the Eagles coordinators, the Cowboys, the Lions, the Ravens, right? These teams that are successful, they'd be like, well, why would I want to leave this organization where I get to be with this talent, be in this position to be in a Super Bowl and keep my reputation to go play, to go coach for 11 games just so you could fire me because your general manager that you've hired isn't putting enough talent on the field and I can only do so much with what I have. And my rookie quarterback, you know, even though he is talented, doesn't have a ton of experience and is running for his life. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> you know what I mean? So I do think like Dom City that they're going to have to overpay for a head coach or they're just going to get a head coach in there who shouldn't really be the head coach anyway. Um, and I just, I don't know. I think ownership needs to allow a guy to have four seasons to try to do something. I was say, I said this for years with the Browns, like all they needed was stability. They just needed somebody to hold the job for more than a year or two. And they would be able to build a culture there and change the culture for the better. And I think we've seen that. And I, I just don't know. I don't get it. Anything else to add on this one, guys? Nope. All right. Next topic up. Yo, the NFC South guys. I, first of all, I feel like they should be disqualified from the playoffs to begin with. But who who comes out of this division? You got the Falcons at five and six. The Saints are five and six. The Buccaneers are four and seven. Clearly, the, at this point, the Panthers at one and ten. Unfortunately, it may sound crazy. But let's say they win their next the rest of their games in the season and the other teams lose the rest of the games of the season. There's a possibility that they come out of this division as the winners. 
Um, or no, are they officially eliminated? I think I saw that maybe the other day. They might. I'm pretty sure they're they're one in ten. They might officially be eliminated. I think this this week, if they had won, there was a chance still that they could have won their division. Sorry, but it is not all the realm of possibilities that a four and seven, a five and six, and a five and six team could win this division and be in the playoffs. But here's a serious question: Who wins this game? Or who wins this division, Dom? It's kind of racking my brain here. <laughs> He's like, uh... well, because I'm trying to think of it. Like, I think the Saints. If I was gonna pick any team, it would probably be the Saints. I don't really like. I mean, the Falcons have a good defense. I don't think Desmond Ritter is a good enough quarterback to to get a team to the playoffs. Um, I would say Tampa, but. You know, Baker seems to be putting up good stats, but it's not translating into wins for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know if there's anything more that he could do on his end because, I mean, the the offense doesn't look bad and the defense doesn't look bad either. It's just for whatever reason, they're not winning games and they're not winning close games. They're kind of like the Bills right now where, like, I feel like they're competitive in every game they play pretty much. But like you said, it's not translating to wins. Like right. I feel like I feel like the Buccaneers have the best quarterback in the division right now, or at least the guy who's playing the best in the division right now, and that should have them at the top, but it doesn't, and that's just kind of. I, I think if I'm just looking at the rosters, I would probably go with the Saints. I think Derek Carr, if he can come back healthy, you know, and and be a resemblance of the Derek Carr that we know, then they have the best quarterback in the division. You look at their running game with Alvin Kamara, I think he's the best running back in the division. Um, their passing game with Olave, um, Michael Thomas when he comes back from IR, and Kamara, I think that's a, a pretty good passing game. And then you got a pretty good defense behind them. Um, it's just instability of quarterback play has kind of hurt them. So I think if I was to pick any team, I trust the Saints the most out of the teams in this division. Yeah, I would say I trust the Saints, but this Falcons team, for some reason, they're just really scrappy and they find ways to win. And I don't know. I feel like I know you're not the I don't think Desmond Ritter's playing great. I don't know if he's the answer there. I do think that the coaching staff might have hurt his confidence a little by benching him. I don't think Taylor Heineke was the answer there. Um I think they should have let Desmond Ritter play the season out and kind of see what he was. But I also don't know if they really use their weapons properly there. I think that's a lot on the coaching staff as well, too. Like, Bijan should probably be a little bit more factored into the offense. Doesn't really feel like he is. And Kyle Pitts has pretty much been non-existent in this offense since he was drafted. So it's... Very interesting, and I just don't know, don't really know what dumpster fire makes it at this point. <laughs> David, what's your opinion on this? So, I think that this is no different than the NFC East that we got, what, two years ago? Two, three years ago, not even? When Washington literally won the division with a losing record. So while I trust the Saints more than I do anything else, 
Um, yeah, I'll just stick with the Saints as well. Okay. I just think that it's the NFC East that we got literally two, three years ago. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. This one topic I wanted to bring up, and I, there's been some question marks about, you know, the contender or pretender. Um, there are three teams this season that, you know, they've had a little bit of ups and downs this season, but also they've been a team. They've been teams that have had success in the past um, over the past decade, but they've also had some pretty low lows. So I was kind of just wanting to get your guys' quick opinion on, you know, whether they were a contender or maybe a pretender this season. And it's going to be the Dolphins, the Jags, and the Cowboys. So I'll go ahead and start with David here. Do you do you think these teams are contenders or do you think they're pretenders? I think that the Dolphins, for the most part, at least this year, are pretenders in the sense that they're kind of like Dallas Cowboys where their only wins are against teams that have records below 500. That's been the only teams that they ever really have been winning against. And it's the same against the Cowboys. Um, so I'll say pretenders on both of them. But I think, at least with the Dolphins, the talents there, I think they just need better coaching a little bit, at least coaching calls and plays and whatnot um, against teams that actually matter. For the, Jaguar, for the Jaguars, I think they're a surprise contender. I don't think that they're pretenders in the sense that we think it is. I just think that we had such low expectations for the Jacksonville, Jacksonville Jaguars that they're winning games against teams that not only should they should win, but also surprise wins against some serious teams. And so coming back from where they were just a couple of years ago, even heck, even last year, they're actually doing really good. Yeah. I think Dom and I looked at you sideways about the Dolphins, you know, coaching comment, but I do agree. I think you do have an argument to say, hey, when they play against quality teams, there does they do seem to fall flat. And I think a lot of that you you could put that on the players, but a lot of that comes with coaching. And you know, as good as Mike McDan Mike McDaniels is, he is what his second year head coach. So that comes with the bumps and the, the bruises of being a head coach. I think that's something he's gonna have to learn. Um is not just always be there and be funny and be quirky and motivate the guys in those games that don't matter, but he's gonna have to be able to you know, motivate them to play above their capabilities in the games that really do matter. And that's something that he's going to have to grow and get better at. And his coaching staff is going to have to grow and get better at. So I, I do think that that's a, that's a good point. Um, maybe something I haven't really thought about as much. Um, so yeah. 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 Dom, who's your, uh, who's your contenders and pretenders on this list? Um, Dolphins are pretenders. Like I've been saying all season, they can't play against good teams and beat up on bad teams. And everyone thinks they're amazing because they put up big stats against bad teams. Um, Jaguars, I think, are contenders. I, David said they're surprising. I don't think they're surprising because this is a team that won a playoff game last year. Um, and they, they kind of picked up where they left off. They got a good defense. They got a, a really good offense. I think this is a team that's a legit playoff contender. I wouldn't call them a Super Bowl contender yet, 
but I, I do think that they are a good contending team. Um, Cowboys, they're pretenders. They're always going to be pretenders. Um, I'm looking at their schedule now. They they beat the Giants, the Jets, the Patriots, the Chargers, Rams, Giants, Panthers, and Commanders. Like what what good team have they beaten? But the good teams that they've played, they lost to the Eagles, they lost to the 49ers. The only two good teams that they've played, they've lost to. They're they're another team that's like the Dolphins. They beat up on the teams that they should beat up on. But when they play teams that are at their level as playoff contending teams, they don't match up to it. So I until proven otherwise, and until we can see the Cowboys win a playoff game, they're contenders. Or they're pretenders. Okay. I agree with you guys. I I don't think the Cowboys are like crazy pretenders. I do think that they're teetering pretty close. I I do agree. I think they have to beat somebody of consequence, but I think that's all that it's going to take for me to be like, okay, you're, you're a contender now. Cause I I do think they're playing like really well. Um, I think Dak is being cleaner with the ball. So that helps, but yeah, I, I still think they're in probably that pretender category right now, but like they're teetering. Um, the Dolphins, for me, are a little bit more pretenders than the Cowboys. I just don't know. I don't know what they can do against the really good teams. And and like David's point, maybe the coaching isn't able to motivate those guys or get them to win those big games, and that's important. Um, I don't know if I would. The Jaguars are more contenders than they are pretenders, but I think they're they're in the same boat in the contender category as the Cowboys are in the pretender cowboy category. Like I think they're playing really good football. They're a team that I think can win a playoff game. And I think Trevor Lawrence is definitely coming into his own, but this is a team that's still kind of growing and ascending. And I think that they're still maybe a year or two away from winning a Super Bowl. but they're going to give people fits this year in the playoffs. And I think that's all that matters to make them to put them in that contender category. So, all right, last topic here, guys, uh, kind of weird talking about the Steelers two weeks in a row. Usually we kind of avoid them because they've been kind of, kind of crappy this year, but last week we talked about them because they fired Matt Canada, pretty big move. And then this year for the first time in 58 games, pretty much Matt Canada's tenure there with the Steelers. Uh, they had more than 400 yards in a game. So obviously not very many points were scored in this game. That's something that, you know, that offense will have to continue to grow and get better at. Not saying that, oh my gosh, wow, this offense is great now. But really, honestly, we'll just kind of answer this question because I think this is kind of the most important question to answer first. Like, like how bad does this make Matt Canada look? And I'll kind of start with Dom. Horrible. Yeah. Absolutely horrible. I mean, he was already regarded as one of the worst OCs in, in football. And he has been for a while. This isn't this isn't new. Um, but man, does it like the first game, the first game, first game after he's fired, they get 400 yards. Like that's that's wild to me. Um, you know, I, I think the this is a move that the Steelers needed to make because they need to make a decision on Kenny Pickett. And they weren't going to be able to get a good read on Kenny Pickett and really this whole offense with Matt Canada there. Um, so 
you know, we'll see what the we'll see what the rest of the season holds. You know, it could just be a flash in the pan. The offense motivated. They finally got rid of Canada, and they were super motivated for this game. And they they beat up on the on you know a Bengals team that's kind of not what we expected they would be. But you know, we'll see if they can continue it. If they do, then I think they have their quarterback of the future. And, you know, you'll be in a much better spot going forward. But if the offense goes back to pretty much what it was under Canada, then you have your answer about Kenny Pickett. So either way, I think this is a win-win for the Steelers because you're going to you're gonna learn a lot over the, the rest of the season. Yeah, I think that was probably a, a good driving force to this decision. I think the other thing was just the, the threat of losing the locker room. But, you know, Kenny was accurate. They threw to the middle of the field, which they haven't. He threw a dot to Pickens on the sidelines, which is something that he hasn't really... That deep ball has not been there with the accuracy. Um, No turnovers. Najee Harris ran for almost 100 yards. Like, I don't know. Like Dom said, this could be a fluke. This could be a, like a, oh, big F you to Matt Canada. But there is there is something to it. Um, they utilize Pat Pat Firemuth more, so I I don't know. It's it's very interesting. David, what's your opinions on this man? How how bad does this make Matt Canada look? I think that it makes him look horrible. I think that we already expected him. We are like Dom said. We already knew he was bad already. We didn't need more evidence to prove it. Um, yeah, this could be a flash in the pan, like Dom said. But if they keep this up and have this more than one week in a row, like two or three weeks in a row, and actually show improvement, then it shows that Matt Canada was the issue. And it shows that this team just needed an off a functioning offensive coordinator. It wasn't necessarily that they were a bad offense. Yeah, every team needs an offense that needs to be improved in some way, shape, or form, even the best offenses. But they couldn't get a proper idea of what that offensive need was until they got rid of the absolute shit shit show that was Matt Canada. So I think that they first off figure out what they have with the players that they have now without Matt Canada. And then they go from there. Yeah, I agree. Um, One question that's not up there and we'll, we'll end with this one, but do you think, you know, as good as Mike Tomlin has been as a head coach and as much sorcery as he's put into these teams to stay above 500 all these years, do you think this is one in his legacy that people will look back at and be like, why didn't you do this sooner? Um, obviously, we don't know if it was obviously. his decision or not because we don't know what goes on in the organization, but you would think that with the position that he has there and, he has there. and his stature that he would have control over his coaching staff and who he has. But do you think this is a negative that we'll look back on his legacy and be like, why did you let this man operate this way for 58 games? And I'll kind of just open it up to kind of whoever wants to talk about it. I think that it's a two-way street. 
yeah, I think he has a lot of input and a lot of say of what goes in and happens around the organization in the front office. But I think at the end of the day, I think the front office says, yeah, we take your input and it's amazing. But for right now, we we want to do this and we want to go in this direction. So I think it's a bit of a two-way street. Okay, Dom? I'm going to say no just because, one, this is a, a move that the Steelers organization literally has never made. Um, they've never fired a coordinator midseason. So it, it's hard to fault Tomlin for being loyal to his coaching staff and, and guys that he's trusted for the last couple of years and ask him to fire someone midseason and, and hold it against him that he held on to him for 58 games. I think this move was going to happen either way, but I feel like Tomlin would have preferred it to happen in the offseason um, instead of being in a situation now where you have to promote someone to an interim offensive coordinator how much of the offense are they going to change? Like it brings a lot of potential instability to a season that I feel like the Steelers organization tries to avoid as much as possible. So I, I don't really fault him for holding on to him. I, cause I feel like he was going to do it in the off season anyways. But um, like I said, I think it was a good move because they need to make a decision on Kenny pick possible. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I agree. This will be a, not only a, a push for the playoffs, which I think that there's a good possibility as long as they win at least half of the games that they have left on the season, that'll put them around 10 wins. So it's a good possibility they could put themselves in a wild card spot. But like Dom said, be a good, uh, good test to see if Kenny Pickett is the guy or if they need to uh, make other plans. Well, that'll end that section. We'll go into our quarter four predictions real quick, guys. Um, Two NFL games up. One is probably a pre-conference championship matchup here, guys. 49ers, Eagles. What do you got? Anybody? Eagles. I think they're the best team in football. I know that the 49ers are, are back and they're fully healthy, but I mean, I, until proven otherwise, I got to take the Eagles. David? Is he pooping? Eagles. Sorry. I forgot I was muted. I'm like, uh, I can't hear you. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I um, I agree. I think the Eagles win this one, but I, I think it'll be a closer game. I, I don't think this will be like a blowout or anything. So but I do think Eagles come out. They do look like the more complete team. And I don't know. The 49ers are – they have, their 49ers defense is, is nice, though. So I think it, this might be a really good test for the Eagles. So um, Broncos-Texans. I only have this one up here, not because necessarily these teams are both like – Amazing. I love the way CJ is playing, but I think this is a this is a game that has playoff implications. I think whoever wins this game puts themselves in a really good chance of making that wild card spot. Um and it's a good test again for CJ to see what where he's at um and see where this team is at. But it's also a opportunity for the Broncos to continue rewriting this script that <laughs> had them pegged as one of the worst teams in the NFL. So what do you guys have on this one, David? I'm going to say, I say the Broncos uh, time comes to an end and the Texans surprise. Okay. 
Dom? I don't know because this Broncos team has been very impressive the last five weeks, but so is the Texans. Um, part of me wants to go the Broncos just because of Russell Wilson's experience. And, you know, this, this Broncos defense is really, and they've been really impressive the last five weeks. Yeah. This is a, um, this is a tough one because I think we've seen CJ Stroud be able to pull out these close games at the end of games. And I think CJ has been covering up a lot for the deficiencies of this team. Not necessarily that they're awful, but I think we all can agree that they don't necessarily have the crazy talent that some of these other teams have. And I think CJ has been elevating them a lot, but I think this Broncos team is on a mission and I think this Broncos team wins this game. And I would say that it probably won't end any different than what this Jaguars-Texans game ended this last week. I think CJ is going to have the ball last, and he's going to give them opportunity to win the game. And either they're just – I just don't know if they're going to be able to get it done. So it'll be close. It'll be close, but I think the Broncos are on this this path for some reason. Um, And the Texans will have their time. They will load up talent, and next year – they will be better, but I think this Broncos' is, team is ascending. It'll be interesting to watch, fun to watch, fun to watch. All right, Oregon v. Washington, guys, this week, championship game. I think we kind of all answered it earlier. I got Oregon. I think Oregon will win this one. Dom, who do you think will win? I think this is awesome. This is probably the game that I'm most excited to watch. Um, I can really see either team winning, but no, no, I'm, I think I'm going to go with Washington. Okay. I'll go with Oregon. Oregon. This is a tough one. Like I said, I I only think Oregon's going to win just because they already played them once. I think Oregon is a little bit more of a complete team. Um, But I'm hoping we get another shootout. I think that'll be fun. (laughs) Come down to whoever has the ball last. That'll be a good game. All right. Georgia, Alabama. Tale as old as time. Who wins this game? David? Georgia. Georgia. Okay. I'm going to go with Georgia too, but I don't feel good about it. <laughs> this, is yeah. a, this is a tough one. I, I don't feel good about it because you know what sucks is we all were looking at Nick Saban and we were like, oh, it's over. But guess who's here? Guess who's back? Nick Saban. Yeah, okay. I don't. If we can start singing Eminem now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fun one. I honestly I don't know if any of us have ever have watched a lick of Miami of Ohio football or Toledo football this year, but Toledo is ranked number twenty third. Um I think it's cool that they're both playing in the championship for the Mac. Um I don't know. Do you guys even have an opinion on who's gonna win this game or I I'm gonna try to watch it. I think it'll be fun. I think it's cool to Ohio schools, but you guys got an opinion on this one at all? Yeah, I mean, I, both teams are good. Um, I, I, I follow the Mac probably more than I probably should, but um, no, I, I I love the Mac. Um, being able to watch college football during the week, and I think the, the teams are, are better than Tom's like Tuesday games. Fucking Tuesday games, it. yeah, give it, yeah, oh, hell yeah, man. Um, but no, I, I I think the teams are good. Uh, Miami, Ohio. 
has has had a good, pretty good season, but Toledo's I, I think they're far and away the best team in the conference. And I got no opinion on this one either. So, yeah, I mean, listen, Toledo eight zero, Miami of Ohio seven and one, um, in conference. Miami of Ohio is ten and two overall. Toledo eleven and one overall. Like, these are two of the top teams within the MAC. So, I don't know. It'll be it'll be a fun game. I'm I'm gonna try to watch it. So, um, hopefully it's not. I don't. It shouldn't be on on a Tuesday. I can't imagine that. So. But yeah, it should be a fun game. If you guys are, if anybody's from Ohio that's listening, watch this freaking game. Let's let's first let's just let's have the ratings be like ten million viewers or something like that. I think that'll be like a crazy. I don't think we'll get there, but that'll be like a crazy freaking stat. People will lose their freaking minds. They'll be like, "How did this happen?" But here's your battle of Ohio right here. This is what you get. There's really no team in Ohio that rivals Ohio State. So you got to go to the MAC, and here's your Battle of Ohio. This this will be fun. This will be a fun game to watch. But that will end it, guys. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Two Minute Drill presented by Deep Dive Sports. Myself, Dom, and David, as always, we will catch you on the next one. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Two Minute Drill. And make sure to follow the show on Instagram at Two Minute Drill Podcast. D-D-S. Don't forget to follow deep.dive.sports on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can listen to all of our shows wherever you get your podcasts. Also, comment on all our posts and episodes. We would love to hear what you think about the show and what we talk about each week. And as always, two-minute drill listeners, until next time.